Anytime you plan to visit Amazon.com, please be aware that if you use the Amazon.com link located on our website, www.2TrueFreaks.Libson.com, 2 True Freaks will receive a referral bonus for any items you purchase. There is absolutely no additional cost to you whatsoever for doing this. All proceeds go directly toward keeping new episodes of all your favorite 2 True Freaks affiliated podcasts rolling, and it really helps us out. So please, use our Amazon.com link anytime you plan to visit Amazon.com. Welcome to Amazon. I love you. <laughs> I sense a disturbance in the force. You always sense a disturbance in the force. We're doomed. I don't like this. Really pissed me off. Oh no! <laughs> it's a trap! Chewie, get us out of here! You can't run. Ow! Help me! Part two! This is where the fun begins. And now. Together by live simulation via the internet. Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. Give me regular reports, please. Right? Do you know what's going on? Maybe it's another drill. Hello and welcome to Star Wars Monthly Monday number 32. I'm Chris Honeywell and I am here with Scott Gardner. Hello. And we are ready to go Star Wars crazy. <laughs> hmm with some space discussion about space Star Wars. Does that work? No, that doesn't work, does it? <laughs> I'll just say that I'm feeling the force this episode. Oh. oh. Good thing the camera's not on. Yeah. <laughs> we, we've just, all got our euphemisms. You were, yes. <laughs> no, no, I worked, no. I worked with a guy... I, I worked with a guy who called it the executive decision. I'm <laughs> going to make an executive decision. <laughs> Not at all Whatever. what I was talking about. <laughs> nope, nope, nope. Oh, now I feel I feel like a big nerd saying that because I, I think it was in one of our Star War or Star Trek Monthly Mondays you had said something about. You, know, you, ever, you, you ever noticed how we never come in saying you know live long, live and, long and pro yeah. So, yeah, I guess I just... I just feel stupid saying live long and prosper for some reason. But not, you know, I feel stupid saying any kind, you know, whether it's a nerd saying or or just a regular everyday. Yeah. Say, I, I, have a, I have a hard time saying have a nice day. You know, I'd rather just like jab people in the eye is more <laughs> of my, my speed on that. I don't know hmm. how you but I think it's... Yeah, I... You know... I, I just I can't see you really having a job at, at Walt Disney World with you know wanting to jab people in the eye rather than saying have a nice day. Well, as <laughs> tell me the day that they get the jab on the eye ride, I'm down there. The, ja the Disney jab in the eye experience. <laughs> you tell them you have the I have the man for this job right here. <laughs> 
Well, okay. speaking of of Disney, these are my my. This is going to go out of order of my notes, but I'll, I'll, I'll jump to this one because it's a beautiful segue, guys. If you have not seen it yet, there is a video that you absolutely must check out because it is freaking hilarious. It's called Darth Vader Goes to Disneyland. It's a it's a Star Tours related commercial. It's a, it's an actual Disney commercial, but don't let that put you off. It, it's absolutely hysterical it's uh vader and a couple of troopers go to disneyland with the intention of riding star tours and that's all i'm going to tell you you gotta see it the music is absolutely hysterical it's i I just i don't want to really tell you anything more about it other than it's awesome because to tell you any details is going to spoil the whole thing for you so yeah it's it's hard not to yeah it's hard to say anything and not spoil a a 40 second to one minute clip you know you've you've seen it right i have seen it it's hilarious isn't it funny (laughs) what's funny is i had i did not know that it was i had seen pictures from it Right. And I can't say what the pictures are, but I'd seen pictures from it. And I just thought it was somebody, you know, there was somebody in a Darth Vader suit walking around taking some gag pictures around Disney World. But no, it turns out it was all in the storyline of, right. of this thing. So it was great. It is. It's, it's hilarious. I mean, it's actually supposed to be, you know, the real Darth Vader, you know, going to Disneyland. And I, I just got the big. The tortured and troubled Anakin. Right. Yes. <laughs> like living out his childhood. <laughs> Yeah, it was great. <laughs> well, the, the best thing for me was that, you know, they they do a very, very, very Disney spin on Darth Vader's theme in the music. You know, it's it's all light and kitty and tinkly and all that. But it's, you know, if you listen to it and pay attention, it's very clearly Darth Vader's theme. And that, to me, was the funniest part of it. You know, it was, it was like the Disney-eyes... Darth Vader theme. It was uh, that would have been a fun job to score that. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. But definitely, guys, go check that out. It it will make your day. It'll brighten your day. It was it was a lot of fun. Sort of, kind of, maybe associated with that. The thing that has just got me so excited and put me on cloud nine was uh, this. Maybe this is old news in the world of Star Wars, but I just found out, so I, I wanted to make sure to uh, talk about it on this show. Was. Uh, Star Wars Celebration, which is a, it's a biannual, am I saying that right? Biannual would mean every two years, uh-huh. right? Bi- yep. Yeah, biannual gathering of Star Wars fans and geeks and nerds from literally all over the planet. And that's about as much as I really know about it. You know, I know that it's been held in several cities all over the world. Like, I think L.A. was one in Tokyo. I, I've said that, uh, I said that earlier today and then I wasn't sure I actually had my facts straight. Anyway, when I first moved down here last year, uh, Celebration was like just happening. That was Celebration 5. And it killed me. I mean, absolutely killed me to literally be in the same city where this was happening. And I couldn't go. I mean, I just couldn't justify the expense. I had literally just blown into town. I was crashing at a friend's house and I didn't have a job and had no money and... I just, you know, there's no way that I could have sold that to anybody, you know what I mean? So I didn't get to go, and it just killed me. And I was like, well, now I'll probably never get to go because next year it'll be in Liverpool or yeah, Dublin. Yeah, or exactly, Timbuktu or something. So I was like, well, hell, I guess that was it. Well, the big announcement is uh, that next year, next year, 2012, August 23rd through the 26th, it is coming back 
to the Orange County Convention Center in Orlando, Florida. Literally a hop, skip, and a jump from both where I live and where I work. So I am so freaking excited about this. I really, really, I, I don't care what I've got to do to get to No this need thing. for a hotel I, room in that one. Yeah, exactly. I'm going. And I really, really want you to come down for this, Chris. You and I have got to go to this thing. Well, I can pretty safely say that if I start planning now <laughs> yep, yeah. for for a year from August that I could probably probably do that because yeah, it's gonna it's gonna cost me travel and the price to get into the thing. And, and who it. knows? Who knows? Maybe we can uh finagle some sort of two true freaks pass in press pass i was looking at that yeah they definitely are going to be doing press passes so yeah we definitely need to check into or that or podcaster but, pass or something, something yeah but, maybe they'll have like a podcast alley or something like that but one way or the other whether we get in as press when we just get in as you know general admission whatever we've got to go to this thing together i think that this would be just the the culmination you know what i mean uh, of of Everything we've ever wanted to do as, as Star Wars fans and Star Wars nerds, you know. This well, what I like is when it's all over, you, I can go and we can go on uh, Star Tours. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, I'm really expecting that. I, I, I believe that the reason they're doing this is because the last one was such a huge success. But, of course, the last one was a huge success largely because it was tied in very closely with events that were going on over at Disney at the time which was last tour to Endor and when they shut down Star Tours. Well, now Star Tours is reopened. There's not really a new fresh event that I'm aware of that's going to be happening at Disney. So I'm wondering what's going to happen with Disney. I mean, th these two events are, don't get me wrong, these two events are completely unrelated. You know, Celebration is not a Disney event. It just so happened that Disney, you know, coordinated with these people. And, and so it, it made it feel... There was a what's the word synergy. There was a synergy between the two events, well, even though they were they were completely autonomous of one another. I'm, I'm sure there's still the common thread of Lucasfilm. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, and say and you know Lucasfilm saying hey, you know. Right. So I'm thinking that Disney will definitely want to step up again, try you know to to get some crossover from celebration, and that Disney will be probably doing something Star Wars related during that time as well. So I'm excited to see what that might end up being, you know, because there's already speculation and talk that since the new Star Tours is fully upgradable and tweakable and things like that, maybe there'll be some sort of special Star Tours event, you know, while celebration goes on. But of course, you know, like we say, this is all well over a year from now. So anything could happen, but I'm psyched. Uh, the Orange County Convention Center is an awesome place. You know, that's where uh, where I went for MegaCon, and it was really cool. So I can't wait to go to that place and have it just be chock full of, you know, tons of Star Wars. Concentrated Star Wars. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, it'll Distilled be. Distilled awesome. Star Wars. Absolutely. So I, I think what I'll do uh, when this episode goes up, I'll start a thread on our forum where maybe we can start you know making plans and maybe coordinate some sort of event of our own or something like that you know maybe like a fan meetup yeah meetup yeah exactly definitely i would love to do that so yeah but i'm excited that was that was the big thing for me and uh so moving on from that you and i actually read the same uh the same new comics for a change that are coming yeah of course man i tell you what dark horse has been knocking it out of the freaking park lately because uh 
you know, I'm actually getting I'm getting only three new comic titles on a regular basis right now. Actually, it'll be down to two because the one we're about to talk about just wrapped up its last issue. Let's talk about that one first. That was uh, Darth Vader and the Lost Command five issue miniseries. I don't know if they've announced the uh, the trade for this yet, but the fifth one just came out. You and I read the whole series. What did you think of this? I liked it. I thought it was really good. Um, I don't want to say too much about the plot of it, you know, since it is a new comic. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, a lot of people gripe about the prequels and stuff. But I like now having the backstory of Anakin, the fully shaded backstory of Anakin. Yes. Because it makes these stories possible. Right. You know, and this has a Darth Vader who's on a mission to find Governor Tarkin's son who's sort of gone heart of darkness, you know, apocalypse now, rogue, or they don't know what's going on with him, but Vader's sent to check it out. And a lot of it is you you, you get to see uh, the tortured young Vader, you know, the, yes. the freshly, freshly, you know, made Darth Vader who's having, and you get to see his dreams and or I don't know if they're dreams or hallucinations he has while his armor's being, you know, you also get to see how exactly how painful it is to put his armor on and off and maintain it and everything. And so you get a real portrait of a really tortured person, you know, somebody who's made a decision that they know is not a good decision. They're stuck with it. And, you know, they're having dreams and fantasies about what could have been, or you know what might have been and stuff like that and it really adds it it adds a lot to the character you know maybe maybe those prequels just served as just a good enough framework for all the rest of the eu to start really doing some but you know i mean it's it's i i what i was reading it going you know because of the prequels this you know you you actually you have a, a way different perspective on Vader and how he works with his clone troopers because you're thinking of Anakin in the Clone Wars, you know, right, him, right, uh, you know, him commanding his squadron of troopers and stuff, you know, it, this is Anakin doing, you know, doing what he does best, but it's Darth Vader now, you know, but he's somewhere in between, and it works really well in this comic. I I really like it, and the art is really nice too. I, so. I looked at this something like the the last hurrah of Anakin Skywalker. You know, he he is um, he he's the burn victim and everything that he was at the end of Return of the uh, excuse me Revenge of the Sith. You know, he he is in the Darth Vader outfit and all that, but in his mind, he's still not fully classic Darth Vader, if you know what I mean. He he's yeah. still in that middle ground. And I liked this story because we really got to see, you know, he spends a lot of this story without his helmet on, which at first I had a quibble with. I was like, you know, I I was remembering Luke's line from Return of the Jedi of, you know, but you'll die. And I kept thinking, well, shouldn't he die without his helmet? But if you can forgive that, it makes for a powerful story because you can actually see the man behind the mask and you can see the anguish and the torture that he's going through in this story. And I saw this as, you know, this is where the resolve set in. This is where he came to grips with the horrible things that he had done and the terrible decisions and losing Padme. And this is where his resolve was set to truly follow the dark side and become an agent of the Emperor 
of his own free will, even more so than than had been done in the movies and, and things like that. This is where that all kind of gets resolved. I thought it was a fantastic story. I thought the overall a plot, if you will, the thing with Tarkin's son and all that was kind of eh. You know, I really, yeah. I found myself not really even giving a shit about that. It was really, it was the, it was the Anakin story that that's you know the solicits of that story is what sucked me in. You know, the th- the fact that Vader was haunted by visions of the world as it could have been. You know, had he not fall into the dark side that was that was what roped me in you know to wanting to read the series in the first place and that's definitely what kept me awed through the entire story is how he keeps seeing these visions and and whatever this is that's appearing to him and it tortures him and he tortures himself and there's a great scene toward the end of the last issue where it all kind of comes to a head and like you say i don't want to spoil it but i i did i enjoyed the hell out of this i thought the art was a little wonky and a little inconsistent issue to issue but then in the, the in the very last issue it, it really solidifies and seeing the hel- the uh, helmetless vader just you know really using his full power was just awesome i loved it you know but you see you you simultaneously see him kicking a lot of ass but then you also see him broken at one point in the story and I was just like damn I mean it's powerful stuff it, I thought it was a very very good story the other uh, comic that I got um, it's I see it's advertised here these pages damn it they're not numbered I hate that comics don't have page numbers anymore in, in the new ones what's up with that I don't know what's up with that but it's irritating the hell out of me <laughs> but uh, right about more or less the middle of the book here, there's an ad for a, another new series that I picked up the first issue to. It's called Star Wars Jedi The Dark Side. Did you check this one out? No. I think you would like this. I I, che- I picked it up purely out of curiosity because um, I don't know if I've said this on the show before or not. I probably have, but I really don't like Qui-Gon Jinn. But I think a lot of the reason I didn't like him in the movie was because I just don't like Liam Neeson. I just not really I don't I've never really cared for him as an actor. So I tried to get over my prejudice of Qui-Gon as a character and by detaching him from the actor that played him. And I found that served me very well with this first issue. It's a little hard to figure out exactly where the story might be going. But it's uh it's a much younger Qui-Gon. He's a good 20 or so years younger than when we meet him in The Phantom Menace. And, you know, he hasn't yet taken on Obi-Wan as an apprentice or anything like that. And it's just basically an, an, an earlier tale from an earlier and and somewhat more um, stable time in Jedi history where, where Qui-Gon's a, a younger master. And it was just, it was really good. It had a very exciting setup to the beginning of the thing. And uh, I think I'm going to follow this, at, at least for the first story arc and kind of see where it goes. But... uh you know, if you see it around or what, I would recommend picking it up. I enjoyed it a lot, and I thought the art was pretty solid, too. So I'm curious to see where this where this might be playing out. But it was just interesting to see what they're going to do with stories of Qui-Gon and maybe possibly even some of the other Jedis if they're not battling some sort of Sith threat. You know, what what is the bad guy going to be? You know, what, what face is the enemy going to have? And, you know, what sort of adventures are, are these going to be? Is it going to become... Uh, you know, uh, almost like a superhero book, or or what is it going to be? And I couldn't really get a feel for that quite yet in the first issue. So it'll be it'll, it'll be interesting to see where that goes. I think, but uh, I'm excited for the ride. And I also picked up there was that um, 
don't know if you saw this around, Chris. There's a new one of those little digest books that uh, Dark Horse puts out every now and again. There's one that's uh, Boba Fett. No, I, I have not I, seen it that. It looks so good. The art's beautiful. And I picked it up and I didn't get time to read it in time for the show. But it looks like it's going to be a solid read. Uh, of course, that's just going by the art, but the art's beautiful in it, so I'm really anxious to read it. And uh, like I say, I just kind of ran out of time to get it done before this particular show. But if I get it read in time for next uh, next episode, then I'll report back and let you know how it was. But it, I was I, I was when I saw the solicits for it, so I was very excited about it coming out because I thought it looked good. And I, you know, I'm always a sucker for Boba Fett. So speaking of solicits, they just put out the solicit for the next. Star Wars Omnibus in the uh, A Long Time Ago series. This one's going to be Volume 3. No, 4. And they are right in the era that we're covering right here tonight. The next one is going to cover Marvel Star Wars 68 through 85, as well as the uh, four-issue adaptation of Return of the Jedi. And guess what they have as the cover for this volume? It's that Fen Shisa cover that we just talked about. What was that? Oh, the Boba Fett one. The Boba the Fett Boba one. Fett looking one. Yeah, yeah. that's going to be the cover. And it's awesome. I saw that and I was like, oh, no way. That no, makes you, perfect sense. Yeah. You know, because you and I were just gushing about how gorgeous that cover was and everything. So, yeah. Let's not be alone on that one. Yeah, it's it's pretty awesome. So, yeah, that, put, that makes four of those now. I. I have the first two. I haven't yet picked up the third one. The third one had a really nice cover, too. The cover to that one was that that final page cliffhanger where Vader came walking out of the light there, and he's like, Luke Skywalker, yes. I have come for you. That's the cover to the, to the third volume. I haven't, I haven't picked that one up yet. I need to get that. But I saw the cover to this, and I was like, oh, that's cool. So I'm thinking that right about the time we'll probably be wrapping up the series, they'll be wrapping up these trades. <laughs> But that's How pretty perfect neat. is that? Yeah. yeah, yeah, you can follow right along with us. But I thought that was neat, and I also noticed that. Um, well, actually, I'll save it until we get into the uh, the comics proper here. But I, uh, speaking of Return of the Jedi, I had uh, some uh, some news related to Jedi, if you will. So when we get to the to the comics themselves, we can delve into that a little bit. I heard that Luke and Leia were brother and sister. Haha. <gasps> Oh. <laughs> well, do we want to dive right into the comics or we want to take a little break or what do we want to do? I say we t- I say we take a little break because I would like to get me some iced tea. That sounds good. To make my voice supple and persuasive. <laughs> <laughs> Just like your women. Yes. Supple and persuasive like rich Corinthian leather. <laughs> That's how I like my women. Leathery. All right, we'll be right back with Star Wars Monthly Monday. (laughs) Just who the hell are you? He's James T. Kirk. Don't you read history? What did you say your name was? Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the USS Enterprise. Which one of you is the captain? 
violate the treaty, Captain? Red alert! All hands! Battle station! What are you scratching at? Incorrect. Just get down to it, please. Prepare to attack. All hands battle station. No! Monthly Mondays, available the second Monday of every month at twotruefreaks.libson.com. On March 7th, return to the fight for freedom in the name of adventure. I'm Luke Skywalker. I have a really bad feeling about this. Return of the Jedi. I will not fight you. You must confront Vader. You are unwise to lower your defenses. 20th Century Fox and George Lucas present... The time for our attack has come. The last chapter of the Star Wars Trilogy Special Edition. Well, how could they be jamming us if they don't know if we're coming? It's a trap! Your fleet is lost. And your friends will not survive. Don't move! I love you. I know. There is no escape. Return of the Jedi. With newly enhanced visual effects. DHX and digital sound. And a few new surprises. the magic. Experience the power and feel the force like never before. I am a Jedi like my father before me. So be it. Jedi. On March 7th, the last chapter of the Star Wars Trilogy Special Edition. Return of the Jedi.
It's a trap! Long ago, in a galaxy far, far away. There exists a state of cosmic civil war. A brave alliance of underground freedom fighters has challenged the tyranny and oppression of the awesome Galactic Empire. This is their story. Stan Lee presents Star Wars, the greatest space fantasy of all. Hello and welcome back to Star Wars Monthly Monday number 32. We are into the Marvel Comics part of our show where we'll be presenting three issues of the wonderful Marvel Comics Star Wars run. And here to start off with the first one, Mr. Scott Gardner. Yes. All right, Star Wars number 72. Man, we are really... uh, We're cranking through. We are, we are cranking through. This is number 72. This is the June 1983 issue. And before I go any further, I just want to point out that when we say that, when we say the uh, the month and the year on these, these are the, the months and years that are in the indicia of the comics, not necessarily when the comics were out right. or on the stand or anything like that. And I point that out because I, that subject's going to come up here in a couple more issues because there's something else I wanted to, to talk about related to that. But anyway... Original cover price on this one is 60 cents. Features another one of my favorite covers from this series. It's uh, it's a cover by Tom uh, Palmer. And the credits I found on this credits it solely to Tom Palmer, although I could swear I see some Ron Friends influence. Yes, I agree with you for sure. But yeah, I'm, I'm getting, most of the time I'm getting these from, uh, you know what, now that I look at this, it does say... If you look at the green guy on the left-hand side, it says Friends and Palmer in his robe right there. I just noticed uh, that. So, ah. Uh, uh, see, I was getting the cover information on a lot of these that don't give a, uh, that don't have a signature. I usually look them up on Comic Book DB, and sometimes, as much as I love Comic Book DB, sometimes their information is a little lacking. So, yeah, this actually is by Friends and Palmer. I thought I saw some Friends in there, but anyway. It's a great cover where we as the reader are at the bottom of a carbon uh, carbon freezing chamber looking up like at the lip of the chamber. Staring down into the chamber is Luke and uh, Lando Calrissian, both of them with their, their arms bound behind their back, their hands bound behind their back, and they're both saying, you first. And behind them we see Bosk and IG-88 and a guy that looks like he might be uh, Zuckus. I think you mean Forlom looking like they're about to push them into the, the freezing chamber. It's a really nice cover. I think it's cool. And I like uh, I like Luke's outfit. I think I said that last time. Although I noticed that the, the outfit that Lando's wearing on the cover is, well, while it's very cool looking, not the outfit he's wearing in the issue itself. The rest of the credits on this, Joe Duffy, script and plot, Ron Friends, breakdowns, Tom Palmer finishes, Joe Rezin, <laughs> letters, Stan G, colors. I don't know who that is, Stan G. Uh, Louise Jones, editor, Jim Shooter, editor-in-chief. Stories entitled, Fool's Bounty. Luke Skywalker and Lando Calrissian have accidentally stumbled into the lair of the bounty hunters, Bosk and IG-88. 
mistakenly believing that the carbonite block that they had followed there contained their friend Han Solo. But it doesn't. Surrounded and hopelessly outnumbered, things don't look good for our heroes. When suddenly, it's Rick Duel and Danny the Zeltron to the rescue. It's their friend Cheeto in that carbonite block, and they've come to rescue him. The diversion works, at least for a time. A blaster fight breaks out, Luke using his lightsaber and Jedi powers to leap all around the room like Spider-Man, and the others manage to rout the bounty hunters when IG-88 issues some sort of sonic scream that summons reinforcements. Chaos ensues and the heroes try to flee the scene, but quickly Luke and Rick realize that Lando and Danny were left behind. Luke is ready to charge back in, but Rick tries to talk him out of it. At first, Luke mistakes Rick's intentions, thinking Duel is just riding off the others, but Rick is actually being the level-headed one here, clearly concerned for his friends and wants to come up with some sort of plan first. So the two walk and talk, and we get some really nice conversation between the two of them and some nice character moments where Rick tells what little he knows of the Stenosians and their motivations and his own change of heart uh, in wanting to see the Empire overthrown because basically it's been bad for his business. Luke remembers his comlink and calls back to the Millennium Falcon to appraise Chewbacca and R2-D2 of the situation, but nobody answers. So we cut to Chewie and R2 sneaking, literally tiptoeing through the streets of Stennis. They find the bounty hunter lair, but a giant Stenosian runs them off, or at least I think that's what's going on in that part. It's kind of hard to tell. There's not really any narration, and of course... Chewie, R2, and the Sinosian, none of them speak English, so that that scene's kind of left up to the reader's interpretation, I think. You mean Me- galactic standard. Ah, yes, you're right. You're right. <laughs> I can't believe I've been <laughs> out-geeked. <laughs> <I'm sorry>. uh-huh. <laughs> Meanwhile, Danny and Lando are being marched to an unknown fate. Lando starts dropping hints that he can make it more profitable for their guard if the man will allow them to escape, but this plan is foiled by the reappearance of Lando's old foe, Drebble. The fat man man orders Lando, quote-unquote, packaged for transport, and the two are again marched off at gunpoint, this time presumably to the carbon freezing chamber. Danny takes action and jump kicks the guard in the face, knocking him unconscious. Dribble, come to check up on them, stumbles on the scene just as Lando was going for the guard's gun, and he and Danny are forced to flee just as blaster fire whizzes over their heads. In an alley, Chewie and R2 overhear some bounty hunters discussing their friends while, up on the rooftops, Luke and Rick make ready their plans to rescue Lando and Danny. Chewie takes action, snagging the leg of a passing Stenosian flying overhead. R2 assists, and we see the two of them drag the Stenosian out of the sky for reasons yet unknown. Lando and Danny, on the run from Drebel, are hopelessly lost and looking for the way out when they stumble right into the one place they don't want to be, the carbon freezing chamber. Bosk and IG-88, of course, are waiting for them and orders the chamber tested on Danny. Like, maybe the test with Cheeto wasn't enough for them, I guess? I don't know. Luke Skywalker to the rescue. Well, sort of. Luke makes a dramatic entrance, again, very Spider-Man-like, But it doesn't work out the way he intended because his backup, Rick Duell, is quickly subdued by the bounty hunters, and then the four of them find themselves at gunpoint once again. Rick is roughly shoved towards uh, his friends, and he unexpectedly tackles them all to the ground, saying, Get down! 
Lando wants to know what the heck is going on here as Stenaxian spears fly into the room, impaling bounty hunters left and right. Bosk and IG-88 make a break for the door, but waiting for them is one pissed-off Chewbacca. Chewie and the Stenaxians make quick work of the bounty hunters, and it is sort of half-assed explained that Chewie gained their support through violence. Beating them up. <laughs> yeah, whatever. You know, I just was like, okay, I guess we'll just kind of go with this. So Luke, Lando, and company leave Stenos and a scheming Rick duel in the Millennium Falcon's rearview mirror, heading off to new adventures. When, from the rear of the cabin, Danny the Zeltron reveals herself to be stowing away with our heroes. And that's pretty much the end of this one. So what did you think? I liked it. It was a good uh, wind-up to the story. Um, once again, it was just sort of a wind-up, you know? There is a, yeah. there, there, there's some good character moments in there, though, like you said. I love the art. I love Ron Frenz's art. And uh, it, it, there's a couple goofiness, like Chewie and R2 tiptoeing around. <laughs> there's, there's, I'm trying to see, of course, these pages aren't numbered. But there's a scene, I'm trying to, fit. you know, it took me a while to figure out that they were tiptoeing. Yeah. And I thought it was a gag of Chewie got some poop on his foot. Because <laughs> he was uh, holding up his foot like he's got poop on it. Yeah. And I was like, oh, it's like an episode one joke. It's uh, page eight, although, yes, they are not numbered, but it's page eight, panel four. I guess you could see it that way. I hadn't thought of that, but I like it because in my mind, I hear the Scooby-Doo music. Yeah, yeah. Do, 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 you know? But they yeah. are, he's, he's literally doing the, you know, he's got his hands up at his sides, or, you know, his arms up at his sides with his hands out, kind of like zombie style. And he's got his knees lifted way up to like almost his chin and he's tiptoeing and it's, it's great. It's hilarious and awesome both at the same time. Well, it's because Ron friends can really draw Chewbacca well too. Oh, so his it looks Chewbacca like Chewbacca. Awesome. Yeah, it is all, you know, my only complaint, my sole complaint with the art in this one. And I'm thinking it's only because there probably wasn't much reference material back, you know, at this time for, for this sort of thing is that, um, Bosk often looks very fat and kind of like pig snouted, like like maybe he thought he was a pig creature instead of a, a lizard creature. Right, it, right. It's a minor complaint, but yeah, I wasn't happy with the way Bosk looked or was portrayed in a lot of this issue. But other than him, yeah, Friends was just oh man, his Chewbacca is awesome. His Chewbacca, his Chewbacca is awesome. I think his crowning achievements is Luke Skywalker. Yeah, Luke Skywalker is always really good. It captures it captures the you know uh, Mark Hamill without making it Mark Hamill you know right definitely and you get to see Chewie using the crossbow in this too which is always nice <laughs> Chewie's got some good dialogue in this one too he's got uh let's see here what do we got we I know we got some good like haronks and stuff like that yeah let's see here what. Uh, I got to flip to the beginning of, uh, oh, here we are. Gronk. He says Gronk a couple of times. There's a gruff in there, too. G-R-U-P-H. <laughs> Grumpf. Gruff. He looks around the corner. He goes, her? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. I love the Chewy. We're not getting a lot of the Chewy dialogue from, like, back in the in the earliest issues. No. Where he'd say stuff like Herc and stuff like that. I love that. Well, he, there's a great, there, here's, here's a, here's, here's a little, um, dialogue back and forth between R2, the Stenosian, and Chewie. Bleep, Kronk, Bibble. 
Hiss. Ping. <laughs> Sounds like a broken pinball machine. <laughs> exactly. But, uh, yeah, you're, you're sort of getting the idea that Donnie might be getting a little um, little taste for the old Calrissian. In that, yeah, smooth, in that one part, yeah. yeah. I think course, she kind of just goes, Zeltron, yeah. yeah, she goes where whichever way the wind's blowing at the time. Now, here's, here's the part that, and we'll be seeing it in the next couple episode or issues, or in the next issue anyway, with, uh, with, her, with, her, with the Zeltron character. Is it so funny? Because she's hotsy-totsy. The only thing that makes her different from a regular human is she's red. But, right. you know, a man is a man. <laughs> red woman is a, she's a hot woman. Every guy in this story is just like, get off me. Or except right. Lando is a little sort of like, oh, hi. What have we here? <laughs> but for the most part, all the guys are just like, ah. You know, come on. Because I think that's sort of the, 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 that their target audience was like 10 year old kids at, to some point of like, ew, get this girl off me. Right. And um, if, if, if I was, yeah, if, if I would be introduced, like if I was writing Star Wars and I was introducing Zeltron, it would be because I was planning a new direction of, of <laughs> Star Wars porn. <laughs> <laughs> That's because you're a dirty, dirty old. Notice man. how I subliminally put the uh, words "nude erection" in there too. <laughs> Star Wars has taken a new direction. <laughs> Let's see what have I got on this one. What else did you have on this one? Anything? No, no, that was really it. It's th- it's funny. It's like you say, the ones that are pretty good. There's not an awful lot to to like point out there's not a lot of st- a story in here to pick apart as being realistic or not it's pretty much a chase and pursue and rescue you know i have made it my my mission to start to try to have just as many notes for one that i like as one that i don't like just to try to give equal time and and to dispel that myth that i don't like anything <laughs> that i'm just negative all the time because it's not true and uh I, you know, I really like this impossible. issue. It's <laughs> impossible. I like this one a lot. My my only problem with it really is I, I think it was a, a kind of a weak resolution to an otherwise excellent story arc. I really enjoyed it. But after that awesome cliffhanger, they had a lot to live up to in in this issue. And I felt like maybe it fell a little bit shy of being a truly awesome resolution to, to such a cool cliffhanger. But, you know, that's a minor quibble. I, I really did enjoy it a lot. And the art is fantastic i mean it's not just solid it's good you know what i mean there's a difference between solid art you know i mean vinnie coletta could do solid art sometimes but i mean this is actually exciting and it flows and it moves and characters actually feel like they're in motion in some of the panels where you're looking at just you know a a static image but they feel like they're moving i love that yeah there's not a lot of artists that really pull that off well ron friends is one of them and I, I really enjoy that. Just a couple, uh, couple of specific notes I had here. Uh, page three, um, there was a reference here. There's a, it's the part where Luke, right at the beginning of the laser fight, he leaps into the air and does a, an actual flip over top of Bosk. And Boss says, uh, who taught you to jump like that? And Luke says, the same person who gave me this. And he whips out his lightsaber 
Wrong. destroys. Uh, yeah, exactly. And I was like, hmm, you know, it, it just occurred to me that, you know what? I don't think so. At least we haven't gotten that no, explanation. I think, it was, I think it was Yoda who taught him that. Exa- yeah, you're right. Yeah, I don't. We never really got anything of Ben teaching Luke, you know, any sort of moves or anything. Un- unless, you know, there's been that speculation that maybe Ben actually taught Luke a lot more than we ever saw. You know, beyond just how, like fighting. How a long remote. was that ride? Exactly. In the, in the Falcon. <laughs> you know, come on. Exactly. You know, but there, in that earlier issue, there was the thing where Luke. Remember, he went into his catatonic state because he was doing some meditation that he had supposedly learned from ben kenobi and we i think we back then we both called it too and said that was Mm -hmm. kind of bs that he hadn't really had time to show him any of that let's see page four what was page four oh yeah there's a panel here where uh luke in the in the second panel You've got Bosk running at Luke, and Luke leaps straight up into the air with his arms out, and he's got his legs tucked way up under him, looking very, very Spider-Man. And Bosk runs past him, kind of like the rhino would do, and smashes into the wall saying, Blast you, hold still. That is such a Marvel Comics thing. I mean, it's completely Spider-Man, and I think it's very ironic to point that out because very shortly... Ron Friends would be the regular penciler on Spider-Man right That's... in time for the debut of the black-suited Spider-Man. Remember when he came back from Secret Wars? Yeah, that's what I was just I was just going to say Ron Friends did work on Spider-Man yep. for yep. a while. One of my one of my all-time favorite issues of Spider-Man, it was a Spider-Man, I want to say it was 252 I think was the number, was a Ron Friends issue and it was the one on the cover it was an homage cover to Amazing Sp- uh, Amazing S- uh, Fantasy. Fantasy. Number 15 with Spider-Man swinging and holding on to somebody, except on that cover, he's got a black suit, and it says the rumors are true, introducing the new Spider-Man. I love that issue. It's a great issue of Spider-Man drawn by Ron Friend, so I think that's cool. But that's, that's about a year to a year and a half after this, I think. At least a year, because that was in 84. So anyway... Um, it's a nice panel here. I love the humor throughout the issue. I mean, Joe Duffy really, uh, you know, not only does she she pick up and run, you know, right from where uh, Michelini left off, but she she's keeping a lot of the same things that were working so well when Michelini was here. You know, like the especially the humor. The humor well, works the light, so well. The light, adventurous feel with with always a little bit of humor you know? right yeah humorous characters or hu- humorous situations or just humor humorous moments between people i love this on page 18 is one of my favorite pages of the whole book where luke Skywalker. you know it looks like you know this is it for danny like she's going to go into the carbon freezing chamber and suddenly luke skywalker jumps in he's grabbing one guy by the throat he's kicking another guy in the face then underneath that panel, you've got four mini panels that span the same width of the page as the top panel. You've got Bosk saying, oh, good. You've got Lando saying, oh, no. You've got IG-88 saying nothing. And then you've got Danny going, oh, Luke. And I just love it. It's great. It's just a nice, comedic, you know, light, you know, like you say, a light adventure moment. But it works so well. I, I really enjoyed that. And then I noticed uh, the part where... Chewie picks up and throws a couple of the the whatever these guys are bounty hunters or guards or whatever throws them into the chain you know the carbon freezing chamber, 
it instantly goes off and then, you know, solidifies them into like statuesque looking, you know, frozen figures at the bottom of it. We saw this same thing just a few issues back where Lando knocked those stormtroopers into a carbon freezing right. chamber on Bespin. So this is the second time they've used kind of the same gag. But uh, that was about it for this one. I don't think, was there a letters page in this one? Oh, there was a letters page in this one. You know what? I don't know if I read this one or not. I can't remember. Usually I read these and take any, you know, if there's any interesting notes on them, I, I take notes. But I can't remember if I read this one or not. They got a letter from somebody here claiming to be Boba Fett. I thought that was kind of weird. Those type of things always, when I read those in letter pages, I always kind of roll my eyes like, oh, brother, you know? Yep. Yep. Well, they got their letter printed. (laughs) Cheesy gimmick or not. It's true. Notice there's some some praise. This was uh, for issue 68, which I think was the first part of the uh, the Fen Shisa story, if I remember right. So there's a lot of praise here for uh, for Fen Shisa. But that that comes up next time, where almost the entire letter column in the next issue is is praised for. It's like we like Fen Shisa. Yes, bring him back. Yeah, I noticed that. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's all I got on uh, number 72. Are you ready to uh, encapsulate the next one for us? I will. I will put it in the capsule right now. I'll grind it up into powder and put it in. All right, we're looking at Star Wars number 73. It's from July 1983, and once again, we got a Friends and Palmer cover. It's the exact, I believe, same lineup as last time, 60 cents. Joe Duffy writing the script, Friends and Palmer doing the layout and the inks, and uh, Joe writing, doing the letters got Glennis Wine Colors, Louise Jones Editor and Shooter Editor in Chief and this one's called Las Bane <laughs> The crew of the Falcon and um, their stowaway Donnie sort of make a, a side stop at the planet Las Bane to check on a, a downed rebel who is being chased by Imperials um, They've been told by the inhabitants who are tiny sort of kitty cat Ewok people that the pilot did crash land and ended up like dying with one of their buddies so they saved the data tapes from the ship's robot as sort of a memorial the lesbians or whatever you want to call them are, are kind of anti-technology and they want to sort of use these things as their <laughs> lesbians <Lesbians>, really <laughs> <laughs> Just taking the name of the planet. This is what. We're... <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so they have the the tapes, and they're they're keeping them in their giant golden city that's off in the distance, and they don't want to give them back. Princess Leia is very concerned because she knows the Imperials are going to be right behind them, and they're going to want these tapes too, and she wants to get them first. And sure enough. Almost on cue, an Imperial ship turns up looking for the same rebel and starts unloading and rooting around. Leia decides she's going to take action. So she and Donnie head out in this sort of balloon contraption after Donnie has distracted, quote-unquote, the stormtroopers and the Imperial officer for a little while. And so they end up floating on this little balloon towards the city, and Luke finds out about their foolish plan and decides he's going to follow behind him in basically an Ewok glider. <laughs> Meanwhile, Lando, Chewie, and 3PO uh, 
find out that these little critters grow into huge, ginormous critters when uh, they tangle with one of them and find out very quickly, though, that uh, since these guys don't really know much about technology, a blaster stun pretty much takes care of their asses, but good. So uh, Leia and Danny find their way into the city and find a gigantic Uncle Scrooge treasure stash and, <laughs> uh, and the missing tapes. But, of course, they also find a whole bunch of giant pissed-off natives. Uh, luckily, Luke uh, shows up and... Uh, uses the old uh, blaster trick on the backs of the adult lesbians, which are called Hawks, and uh, they make their escape. And so as they're about to pack up and leave, mission accomplished. I don't know how they know it, but they see the Imperial ship blast off, and they know that Donnie's in it. Indeed, she has blasted off with the Imperial ship, and she's loaded it up with uh, lesbian booty, <laughs> and she's going off to visit her old friends, uh, rehook up with Rick and Cheeto, the Frito Bandito. <laughs> and that's the end of issue number 73. I like this issue. I like this issue a lot. I like it because it's a little bit, um, it, it is a little bit silly, but it, it's like a lighthearted romp. This is almost the... Uh, well, when you look at the cover, it's just a sort of like, you know, great, it's got... Leia and Donnie in a sort of action pose with their mouths hanging. They actually they look like blow up dolls. Yes, with their mouths like that. Yes, they do. <laughs> but <laughs> but you know it's it's an event. You know there's a balloon in the background and Luke on a glider and a sort of you know action action sideways man of mystery glance from Lando and Chewie tangling with a huck in the Golden City in the background. It's it is. It's a really nice little light, fun adventure. Leia is so, so hot in this issue and on this cover. She, uh, For those of you playing along at home, she has a skin-tight black bodysuit is her uniform. She's wearing a... Uh, her white... Her hoth jacket is what I like to call it. But, you know, it's, it's like a sleeveless... You know, it's a like sleeveless a vest, you know, a vest. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and white gloves. And then she's got kind of like Thor boots almost, you know, like like Luke's sand planet boots, you know? Yeah, I mean? they're like wrapped boots or yeah. something. They're like f- f- a shoes with a wrap up her leg. I mean, they really, it makes her look very sexy. I, I like the whole skin tight black outfit thing. And the, and the white's just a nice accentuation. Is that even a word? On uh, you know, sure. on the whole on the whole outfit, yeah. So I I think she looks great in this. It, it's it's nice to see her actually look sexy for a change, you know. Because up till now, you know, she's usually you know she's in a gown or something like that, but she actually looks feminine and attractive in this, and I like that a lot, you know. I mean, and it's even a little bit low cut to show off her her figure a little bit. So I, I really like the way that looks, and. Uh, yeah, I hadn't thought about it till now, but uh, this actually is actually a little bit reminiscent to me of uh, of the whole Black Spider-Man thing that would come along, you know, in a, in a little while for friends. So I like that. But I, he he does he really makes the look work, you know, the whole black bodysuit, you know, with the jacket thing. Um, and it just occurred to me that uh, if I'm not mistaken, you know, somebody I would love to see if we could maybe get for one of these episodes is my cousin Michelle. 
because she was a huge Star Wars fan too, and about the only girl that I knew growing up that read comics, and she loved this era of of Marvel Star Wars comics, and I'm pretty sure that this was one of her favorite issues. And oh, it's, a, it's, think, it's 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 the girls kicking ass issue written by a yeah. girl. Well, it's yeah, not yeah, exactly. It was you know, it was, you know, like you say, girls kicking ass, written by a woman. But also, I think a lot of it was you get a lot of Luke beefcake in this, and she was a big Luke fan, and Luke's. Again, you know, Luke's dressed just like Leia. He's got a skin-tight black bodysuit on, white gloves, and then he's wearing like a black wife beater for most of the of the issue. And I think she really liked how, you know, Friends wasn't afraid to draw him kind of sexy action guy style. You know what I mean? And I think she really got a kick out of it. I'll have to see well, if I can well, get to her. Well, he, d- he did that, but he didn't do it like, um, like uh, Infantino would and make him Conan the Bear barbarian right. yeah you know oh, what i yeah. mean yeah he he totally looks like about um but then again that that sort of look did come about in in empire because he was you know when he was working out with yoda he had, you know right. he was right that's what i was gonna say is i i think that these uh these panels of Luke, like where he's taken the uh the wright brothers flyer there's the panels i'm looking at specifically this looks very much like mark hamill's body in empire i mean so he doesn't look thunder the barbarian but at the same rate you know he had been working out you know he did have muscles in a in a you know sort of an action hero physique you know without him looking like you say like conan or thunder or something like that so right i I like that i like that a lot um i get a kick out of the fact that uh you know again they're looking for tapes you know, that just seems yeah. very outdated now. But, you know, they say that a dozen times throughout the course of the issue that, you know, they're not looking for a data disc. They're not looking for. I always look like tapes as, for tapes. I always look at the, at the word in Star Wars, the word tape being, you know, you can interchange interchangeable with um, recordings, right. you know, yeah. records or whatever. You know, the tapes that were found on the, you know, right. I love that uh, the last panel of page three where Leia's leaning against the tree and looking across that that valley or whatever at the city in the distance. That's just a beautiful piece of art. That's really nice. Um, I think uh, Friends just he he really has a knack for for everything for you know both the the characters and the landscapes, the vehicles. You know, up till now. That just hasn't really been the case. You know, we usually got somebody that was really good at ships, but they weren't so good with the people. Or, the you know, the people looked really good, but then the ships were all wonky. And Friends is like the total package art-wise. I mean, he really makes the stuff look good. And again, you know, the very next page where Leia's walking toward the Falcon and the Falcon's just kind of sitting in a clearing. That's great. I love that. It looks really nice. And uh, I get a kick out of the whole jackets thing because I was thinking about this today. You know, this comes up in the next issue, too, where everybody's got, like, a black bodysuit and jackets. And it suddenly hit me that, you know, Tom Palmer, who, you know, we've already talked about, you know, he was the inker on these and how he was kind of the, the cement or, you know, the glue throughout all these issues, you know, with keeping the, the look solid artist to artist and all that. You know, he his probably his biggest claim to fame was that he worked on the Avengers for so long. I mean, he was just, I want to say like a couple hundred issues of the Avengers or something like that. But I mean, a solid presence on the Avengers for a long, long time. 
And toward the end of their run, you know, sometime in the 90s, I remember him being the artist on that book, when the Avengers all went to a, a, a uniform that was very similar to this, where everybody basically had like a bodysuit and a jacket. Even mm-hmm. Captain America had a jacket, you know? Maybe that's what he likes. Maybe he can draw faster that way. <laughs> it could be. <laughs> but I just, it never really occurred to me, you know, of course, reading this as a kid, you know, this was well before the thing with the Avengers and all that, but it never really occurred to me that in a, in a funny sort of way, this is almost like uniforms for the Star Wars characters because to a, to a, a certain degree, everybody kind of has the same look. You know, Danny's got the black bodysuit and kind of a Luke Skywalker, you know, metal ceremony style jacket. Leia's got her white Hoth jacket, and then Luke's got a jacket. So everybody's got the same basic look. And it just never really occurred to me before, but it is. It's almost like they, they all have a uniform. I like that, though. I, I think it looks good. I like the, the whole black bodysuit thing for these guys. Maybe it's because they're supposed to be on like a like a stealth mission or something. I don't know. But I like how it looks. And uh, I like the the little lesbian guys, the little kitty cat creatures, because they all, every one of their word pan their word balloons is drawn with just these like little hash marks in it. Yeah, and I always imagine so you that, can make up your own little alien language. I always thought that they they you know I always imagined that little hash mark thing had a sound kind of like the predator, like when the predator's doing that like. That ticking. clicky thing? Yeah, the yeah. clicky, you know, like almost like a cat purring type of sound. Uh-huh. I always imagine that's what these guys probably sounded yeah. like, something like that. Let me see, page 20, what the hell page was page 22? I'm not sure which page this was. I don't know, because the stupid pages are not numbered. I don't know, I just had a, a note here that page 22 was awesome, but I don't know which page that was now. <laughs> but there was one... Uh, Oh, that makes me crazy that they don't number these pages. I don't know. I'm not going to sit here and count them all while we wait, though. Just take my word for it. The page 22 was awesome. Um, I noticed that, uh, and this comes up next issue, too, that you know, now that we had the, the nice little tease last story arc about, you know, okay, you know, this is it. We're finally going to get out there. We're going to rescue Han Solo, goddammit. And then they had that little story arc and they didn't rescue him. Now it's kind of right back to where we were before with, all right, now we're going to do some side mission stuff. They do sort of address that, you know, where Luke says something to the effect of everybody gets a chance to be like, oh, I wish we could be going after Han. Right. Yeah. You know, he, he says something to the effect of, you know, gee, Leia, we haven't forgotten about Han, but, you know, this is kind of important and. You know, while we're doing this, there's other rebel guys that are out there looking for Han kind of thing. And it, I, I like that they addressed it, but it also, it rings a little bit hollow, you know, that, come on, you know, I mean. But they had to do something to uh, to keep occupied for this <laughs> nice fat three-year period between the two movies. Um, that was about it as far as the issue itself. The letters column was great, though, because you had... Uh, you know, like we said, the that Fen uh, proved to be a, a big hit. I think almost every letter in the letters column in this issue, you know, both compliments them on the on the creation of Fen and then says how badly they want him back. You know, demand more. Yeah, yeah. Somebody had even uh, 
who was it here? Oh yeah, there, there was about half the half the thing is uh, is about Fen Shice, and then the other half turned into a speculation about Leia. You know, who was she going to wind up with, Luke or Han? Luke or Han? And you'd have one letter that'd be like, "Oh, I want her with Luke," and then the next one, "I want her with Han," and then it was back and forth, back and forth. You get to this one guy, Jay. I'm not even going to try to pronounce this name. Something with a K. He says, "Forget Luke and Han. I like the idea of Leia and Fen." <laughs> I was like, "Yes." So do I. That chance, though. Yeah, this is very true. <laughs> and then the last one, uh, I like this because it uh, there was somebody kind of taking them to task about Luke's lightsaber. And I'm going to have to pay special close attention and really try to remember to follow up on this. I want to know if they actually follow up on their promise here. They say, uh, well, Dwayne, all we can do is quote an old Jedi saying, two lightsabers are better than one. Gee, the... Uh, those Jedi Masters sure know how to turn a phrase, didn't they? Seriously, though, fear not. All will be explained in due time. Jedi's honor. See you next month. And I'm thinking, I don't know. I wonder if we ever do get an Because I don't remember. I honestly don't remember if we ever do get an explanation of where the hell Luke got a new lightsaber post The Empire Strikes Back. Empire, right. Yeah, because if you remember back to... What was it? It was the one with the super probe droid... I'm pretty sure that was the first issue where just like out of his ass, Luke pulls a new lightsaber and it's never been explained. Even, I mean, that was issue what, like 30, 40 something. And here we are into the seventies and it's still never been explained. I don't, at this point, I'm kind of thinking that they never did address it, but we'll find out one way or the other. I wouldn't, I would have just, uh, I would have dodged that one for sure. (laughs) This is true. Well, what the the thing with the two lightsabers is this guy was saying that, you know, he he was demanding an explanation. And then he was also pointing out he must have been following, I don't know, some fanzine or something back in the day. But he says here that he was pretty sure. um, Where is it? Uh, He says, uh, even if you can explain that, you're still in trouble since I believe that one of the major subplots of Return of the Jedi will involve Luke's regaining his lightsaber. Oh, maybe it's just, maybe he's just speculating then. Maybe he was thinking that you know Luke could go back after it or something. I, when I first read it, I was thinking this guy might have actually you know heard something or known something about what was coming in the new movie. But now that I read that, I'm thinking, no, he's just talking out his yeah, ass. He was just speculating, but he was right. You know, even though that scene got cut, you know, they that was at least filmed. And I think isn't that part of the novelization of of Jedi where Luke. You know, how Luke gained a new lightsaber that he, you know, he went to Kenobi's old place and all that. Yep. Yeah. And it'll be part of the Blu-ray, too. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I finally did get to see that. that song. It's like YouTube or something has that video up. Um, and then, I don't know, are you? did you read the actual paper issue on this one? Yes, I did. Flip it over. Okay. <laughs> Oh, yeah. (laughs) Get a free Kool-Aid Man comic book. I sent in and got at least three copies of this damn thing, and I think I still have them today. They were wonderful. (laughs) The Adventures of Scintillating. Oh, yeah. Now, there's somebody in comics today that's kind of a bigwig or, you know, an important figure in comics today that got their star or one of their earliest gigs was working on Kool-Aid Man comics. 
I'm trying to remember who I want to say it might have been Kurt Busick. I'm not I'm not sure, but I know that there's somebody, you know, who's a you know quote unquote star in comics today that that was one of their earliest projects. Freaking Kool Aid Man. <laughs> That's well, a proud one for your resume. There you go. <laughs> Well, what do you think? You want to wrap this one up with uh, number seventy-four? Yes, I think uh, I think we must. All right, and I think it's your turn. All right, we're gonna dig into this one. This is the last issue for this episode: Star Wars number seventy-four. Now, this is the August nineteen eighty-three issue. You might be thinking to yourself, "Damn, August nineteen eighty-three? That's well beyond the movie." Okay, here's where I'm gonna get into this part here. Okay, even though this is dated the August 1983 issue, this was actually on sale on the stands May 17th, 1983. This is according to uh, Mike's Amazing World of Marvel Comics, and it's a great site. Check it out. It's a lot of fun just looking up all kinds of cool comic book stuff on there. So that would make this technically, if you're going by dates, that would make this the last pre-Return of the Jedi issue as far as release of the movie goes. Because Re- uh, Return of the Jedi was released on May 25th, 1983. So eight days after this issue hit the stands. However, we still have to go to issue 80 before the comic changes to reflect post-Return of the Jedi events. It's just kind of funny because I don't remember there being so many issues of this series out you know that were still pre-Jedi after the movie do you remember that because I really don't no I don't remember it being I remember it was pre-Jedi for a little while and we had to sort of wait for it to catch up right yeah but I don't remember waiting six months because that no. comes down to six months because there's six issues between well six we months here. would have been an eternity for yeah. us back then yeah and I just I don't remember it being that many issues but according to the information I looked up today that would be about right that uh, you know this issue is 74 and then the first issue with Han uh, post uh, Return of the Jedi is 81 because he's right smack dab dead center of the cover so anyway, what we're going to continue to do is to cover these in the chronology of events. So we will be getting to Return of the Jedi, but it's going to be, you know, it'll be two more episodes yet because uh, I want to get us to, uh, to issue 80 just so that we can follow the progression of the story. So next time around, we'll have, you know, 75 through 77. The next time we'll have, you know, beyond that, we'll have 78 through 80 then we will finally hit Return of the Jedi, and we're going to do it up big for Return of the Jedi. I, I'm thinking we have at least two shows in mind just to cover Jedi, possibly three, because we'll probably do you know, the comic itself, the movie itself, and I'm thinking maybe even some sort of a commentary. Deal commentary or something? Or something. Yeah. I would be up for that. Hell, we, might, we just might make it Return of the Jedi Month, because I think we did something very similar to that with, uh, with The Empire Strikes With Empire, yeah. yeah. So that'll be a lot of fun when we get there. Not, not too far in the future. You know, three months sounds like a long time, but honestly, it's the blink of an eye anymore. So, yeah. Anyway, getting back to this. All right. So the original cover price, again, 60 cents on this one. uh, Covered by Tom Palmer. It's a beautiful one. It's not particularly Star Wars-ish, but it's pretty cool. It's uh, this. It's very 80s Marvel comic-ish. It is very. Yes. Yes, it is. You've got Luke and Leia looking like they're like at the beach or something 
and Luke's looking over his shoulder, all terrified. Leia's stumbling and falling in the water. You've got all these fish people. It's almost like they've seen a shark or something. It's like the it's like the out of the water sequence from Jaws. You know, they're all running for safety in the background. I don't know how else to describe it. It's a giant holographic Darth Vader head rising up out of the ocean and causing like a giant tidal wave that's washing everybody out of the way. I don't know how else to describe it. That's pretty much what yeah, it is. And it's awesome. It's just, it's so weird and unusual that it makes it pretty awesome. So uh, credits, exactly the same as last issue. All the same people. So I'm not going to run through that again. Story on this one is entitled The Iskalon Effect. So Princess Leia, Chewbacca the Wookiee, C-3PO, and R2-D2 stand on a floating landing platform outside their ship, the Millennium Falcon, as Luke Skywalker marvels at the beauty of the endless oceans that are the planet Iskalion. Uh, Iskalon. Iskalion or Iskalon? I, I'm going to say Iskalon. I think it's Iskalon, yeah. Uh, he remarks on how awesome this is, having grown up on the desert planet of Tatooine. Luke says he's never seen such a sight before. And I think that's Whatever. an odd thing to say, given that Luke's very first post-Star Wars adventure was to crash land on a water planet. Which he hated. Yes. I might add. But, you know... Hated it! Yep. For the sake of the story, we'll forgive it and we'll just kind of forge ahead and ignore this continuity gaffe, I guess. So Luke's harmless little remark gets Princess Leia all thinking about the oceans of her own home planet of Alderaan and, you know, it's nice and blowed up by the Empire by now. And she falls into this funk. Luke tries to comfort her, assuring her that, you know, they haven't forgotten about Han. Seems like he's constantly telling her this but that the people of uh, Iskalon need their help too, and that's why they're there. So while they talk, Chewie's attention is drawn by something happening in the water. And he leans over to investigate, and he's rewarded with a huge splash in the face by this friendly Iskalonian, who thought that Chewie looked hot and was just trying to help him stay cool. So wet and pissed off, Chewie is about to go in the drink after the guy when Luke and Leia hold him back. And the playful native swims off and we're treated to some exposition by 3PO on just why they're all there in the first place. Turns out that the partner of the rebel guy that they were searching for in the last issue, well, that guy was actually last seen somewhere in this system. And so they're oh. all there searching for him. <laughs> you got that? All right. So Lando arrives and he's sporting a spiffy new outfit that I thought was pretty cool looking and informs everyone that he's made arrangements with a contact of his for them all to go down below and discuss the whereabouts of the missing rebel agent. So Lando, who's been to Iskalon before, escorts his friend into this transparent lift tube and the group descends to a city structure situated on the ocean floor called Pavilion. Luke again, having grown up you know, on a planet where water was a precious and scarce commodity that literally had to be pulled out of the atmosphere, you know, he's overwhelmed by this place. And the city's design I thought was pretty cool. It's sort of like a reverse aquarium. Or like, you know, if you've ever been to like the Tennessee Aquarium or like the Atlanta Aquarium, you know, any any like big aquarium where you actually could like walk into like a like a plexiglass tube and there's water all over you on every side. It's kind of like that. And, you know, Luke and the other uh, air breathers, you know, they're safe in this in this community while all the actual Iskalonians who are water breathers, they're on the outside of the walls in the actual ocean. 
and they can communicate with these people through these like little wall comm units that are situated every so often in this city. So Luke spots his friend Primor, who's the leader of the Escalonians. He's on the other side, and Primor introduces everyone, including his son Moan, who's the guy that splashed Chewie earlier, and Moan's wife Kendall. After some dialogue that expounds upon the whole fish nature of these people and everything, they get down to business to discuss the mission and the missing rebel and all that. But Leia is, uh, you know, she's just expressing her nervousness about discussing all this in public when out the window, the group spots this platoon of aquatic assault stormtroopers. First appearance of these guys, by the way. I thought they were pretty cool. They're they're basically stormtroopers built for operating underwater. They're pretty neat looking. So apparently the Imperials are there in response to having heard of rebels fomenting dissent among the worlds of this system. So we're reminded for about the umpteenth time so far this issue about how the barrier bubble is the only thing that, you know, is holding back the crush of the ocean and all this, you know. Duh. <laughs> or foreshadowing anyone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Duh. But, you know, they, they at this point, you know, this is the first time I'm mentioning it in the synopsis, but at this point it had already been mentioned at least like four times. So it's definite, you know, hello, are you paying attention? You know, we're foreshadowing something. And Primer, you know, he proceeds to tell us the story behind these guys, Vanis and Argo. They're the, the missing rebels. It turns out that they were from this system, not, not this water planet. They were human beings, and they were from a planet called Telfree, which is another planet in this system. And they learned that their families back home were in danger and that the Empire might be working on yet another superweapon. Um, when the Empire learned of unrest in the system, Iskalon's sister planet, a planet named uh, Gamondar, was enslaved. Telfri, however, home world of the two rebels, was simply obliterated by the Empire, the surface now incapable of supporting life. So Primer sent representatives to the Imperials to sue for some sort of peace, but then these uh, representatives were just simply executed. So since then, Primer and his people, they've been living in fear and under the watchful thumb of the Empire. So Primer and his people, they beg our heroes for some sort of help in this situation, citing the fact that Vanis and Argo often spoke very highly of them. And a bit more conversation reveals that Vanis's droids uh, may have had the actual secret plans to whatever it is that the Empire is up to in this system. However, that droid was last known to be, of course at the Imperial Fortress on Gamondar. So Lando says, well, you know what this means, don't you? And Luke says, uh-huh. means somebody's got to go to Gamondar. So Primer begs them to reconsider, which got me to thinking, Jesus Christ, dude, is this not why you called these guys? Exactly. I don't, it was just kind of weird. But, you know, Lando, of course, suddenly he's got the whole heroic bent. And uh, it's he and, Le- and uh, Chewie that volunteer to go to Gamondar. And as this is going on, we see that this figure that's been kind of hanging around in the background for several pages now, eavesdropping, suddenly decides that he's heard enough and he kind of slinks off. So Moan, Primor's son, much to his father's surprise, agrees to go with Lando and act as an escort and also to honor his friendship with Lando and Vanis. Back up on the landing platform, Moan and his wife, Kendall, you know, they're both sporting these funny fishbowl head things, you know, so that they can breathe up in the air. Uh, they bid a sad farewell to each other while Leia looks on and then she starts moping and pissing and moaning about Han Solo again. 
and no one seems to notice the Imperial spy board his craft and leave. On Gamondar, we learn that life pretty much just sucks ass when you're an Imperial slave, and an Imperial commander with Steve Austin's bionic left eye receives a report and takes, quote-unquote, appropriate actions that we'll learn about in just a moment. Back on Iskalon, Leia expresses her nervousness to be left without a ship as she and Luke watch the Falcon lift off. And again, again, we're reminded just how screwed they would be as air breathers on a water world should something go wrong. Yes, possibly if something should just happen. If it just could go wrong. If it just might. (sighs) But that'll never happen, right? No. So anyway, Kendall... She goes back in the water, leaving Luke and Leia truly alone for the first time in I don't remember how long. And it actually looks like they might get all Alabama on us when they're suddenly interrupted by Primor, who's proud of his planet and he's eager to show it off. So Luke and Leia take him up on his offer and we're treated to some really kind of cool scenes, you know, kind of cute scenes of Luke and Leia, you know, underwater with, you know, aqua lungs and everything and luke experiencing total immersion for what i think is his first time it says the first time in the story and i couldn't think of another time where he might have been you know scuba diving or something back to tank yeah well i mean that wasn't really water though i mean it wasn't like he was swimming but yeah i did think of that the back to tank actually but i don't does that count you think so anyway maybe he was swimming around in the stomach of that bantha you know so uh or not a bantha tauntaun sorry (laughs) <laughs> so Whew, I almost lost my my nerd pin that time. <laughs> and Primer also uh, he shows off shooting an underwater Iskalonian blaster, which I didn't really ever figure what that really had to do any with anything. Maybe that'll come up next issue or something. So Lando and the others uh, they're approaching Gamondar and the Millennium Falcon, and the Imperial Governor there he sets off something called the Iskalon effect. Uh oh. Back with Luke and Leia, Primer is about to show them more sights when they spot Kendall through the wall of the dome and her helmet, the one that she was using to survive in the open air, her helmet's been smashed and she's actually suffocating to death in the open atmosphere inside the dome city. And they can see this. Back in space, Lando narrowly avoids the missile that was launched from Gamondar, and as it streaks by, they all thank their lucky stars and ponder just what the hell that was all about. Back on Iskalon, Luke and Leia reach Kendall, but time is running out to get her back into the water. She's dying. In the skies above the surface of the planetary ocean, the Gamondaran missile plows into the water and detonates under the sea, causing a massive explosion and shockwave. This is the Iskalon effect, and it obliterates the landing platform, and behind Luke and Leia, the dome gives way. So next issue, it's billed in this issue as the story we could only call Tidal. And I like this story. What did, what did you think of it? Well, uh-oh. <laughs> I think it's a remake of the last story in a way. Yeah. Because here they are again. They're yeah. sidetracked on another mission. It's the sequel to the other guy. <laughs> you know, once again, Luke is like, we'll find Han, we'll find Han. And I got a little peeved off at the whole, like, 
Waterworld being a novelty to Luke, especially because it was screwing up the comic continuity. I, I'll, I'll give them more like, okay, maybe they didn't get that from the movie or whatever. But this is like full Star Wars continuity that they, they you know, they worked it at Marvel. They could have checked it to see if he'd ever been to a water world before. Right. But that, you know, other other than that, I, I, I like the characters. I like the fish characters that they're very friendly. Not really innocent, but they're, you know, they're friendly. They're sort of helpless more than innocent or, or pacifist. They're just kind of helpless. Right. But they're, they're, they're very friendly, and I like that Lando's been there before and has a relation, personal relationship with, with, the, with the people in there. And that, that works out pretty well. But yeah, I like that, Other I like than that, that I like the art. I, I, I love, you know, once again, the art is great. Yeah, I just, I just thought it was sort of sort of the same story over again you know and i i don't blame them because i know it was hard to keep it and and with another movie coming up too they have to be extra careful here so you know there's really probably a lot of uh a, a lot of reason good reasons to sort of spin your wheels at this point in the star wars yeah. comics you know it just occurred to me we never really talked at all about uh Kind of the, I, I guess you would call it the behind-the-scenes story of last issue. That there was a, an incredible coincidence that so many things that were going to happen in Return of the Jedi kept popping up mm-hmm. in Marvel Star Wars, and seventy-three has a great behind the, you know, behind the scenes drama of the fact that the little creatures, the Lasbians, were supposed to be little teddy bear creatures. Oh, were they? Yes. Yeah. When Lucasfilm found out about that, they kind of freaked out about it. And there's a great article that's, uh, I believe it's in back, yeah, it was in Back Issue Magazine that I read it. It's funny, too, because I remember reading that article, and I could swear that it was David Michelini that was giving the the lowdown on this, but he wasn't the writer of it that wasn't particular it. Yeah. But anyway, the, the, the thing was is that what Marvel did was they, they would write these stories up and everything and then submit them to Lucasfilm. Lucasfilm would approve them and send them back. In, in in this particular instance, they set it back and said, you know, you can't do this, you can't do that. And they never offered explanation. And this was one of those instances where the story, you know, elements of the story got rejected, specifically the little teddy bear creatures. And nobody at Marvel ever knew why until all of a sudden here comes Return of the Jedi. They were like, OK, you know, Yeah. but it's amazing the number of things that they nailed, you know, that there was going to the be glider. another, yeah, the glider, the, the, you know, the, the little teddy bear creatures, the forest planet, uh, scout Walker on a forest planet being captured by the stormtroopers, you know, and then a while back, you know, there was the Tarkin, which I'm led to believe in the, in the Marvel, you know, in the early stages of that story was actually supposed to be another, another Death, Death Star, Star, which is what we got in general. You know, so it's amazing just the number of things that, you know, the writers at Marvel were also coming up with at the same time. It's, I don't know what that says about the, I would have been writing like, really average. teddy bear creatures. We can't use teddy bear creatures. What are they honestly going to use teddy bear creatures in star Wars? Come on. <laughs> I They're think probably, let's make them little teddy bears. They'll never use those in the movie. I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll, I'll dig that article back out uh, for, for when we uh, get together for next month, I'll, I'll bone up on that article and see what else I can glean out of it. But yeah, it was a really interesting tale about, you know, some of the troubles that they had and some of the behind this. It's, it's just great stuff. You know, the, the behind the scenes 
goings on, you know, with with especially this era, but then you know, most especially after Return of the Jedi, when it became kind of apparent after a time that Lucasfilm really just kind of wanted Marvel to end the series because they yeah, kept just go away. Know, yeah, they kept hamstringing them at like every turn and saying, nope, you can't touch this, you can't you know elaborate on that. You can't deal with this plot development, and it got to a point where it was like, okay, you know, there's well, only yeah, so much that we can do. Well, and and it also came to a point where it wasn't three years in between everything would catch up and you could start doing stuff again. It was like they didn't know it at the time, but it was going to be over twenty years before <laughs> Lucas was gonna, you know, before right. they could actually cross any like Lucas canon, you know, right sort That's of true. stuff. So. That's true. So it would have been really tough for them, you know, to to continue it on. I was thinking the other day about the Timothy Zahn books and what exactly was my beef with those books and everything. And, and granted, I have not reread them, but they're definitely on my list, you know, to get to them when I get to them for a reread. But I, you know, I got to thinking and, and being completely honest with myself I think part of my you might problem, have had a little grudge. From I the had comic. a grudge. Yes, I, I think that might have actually played a lot into it. If I if I'm completely honest about it, I think that that probably had a hell of a lot to do with it. Is that I resented the fact that that they, they got to do something. Yeah, that they got to pick that up, and that Timothy Zahn was, at least my impression at the time, was that he got to write whatever the hell he wanted to, and I've I've had that impression all these years only because there were so many things I felt that he got wrong or that, you know, he went in directions that I didn't think were particularly star Wars, you know, but anyway, yeah, I, th I think there was some resentment there that this title, which I thought was fantastic and that was really going somewhere bold and new and original right at the time when they just kind of threw in the towel that, you know, later on when I found out exactly, you know, because when I met Joe Duffy, I mean, you know, everybody else is asking her about all these other, you know, Spider-Man and whatever else she had worked on and everything. And I don't remember anybody really bringing up Star Wars. And, you know, my first question, of course, was, why the hell did you guys cancel Star Wars? I loved that book. And her answer, you know, was, we loved it too. But the problem was we, we canceled it because we loved it. You know, we, we canceled it rather than, see it just degenerate into suck because they were put into a box, you know? Right, before, yeah, you know, get to the point where, like, Larry Hama's dra drawing it. Sorry, G.I. Joe fans, or something like that, <laughs> right. you know? I, you know right, I mean? yeah, exactly. But anyway, bringing it all back here to uh, to 74. You know, it's funny. You, know, you can definitely, there's, there's times where you can definitely tell that you and I have known each other a long time long time because your very first comment was my very first note you know they diverted the the mission once again it does in a lot of ways it does kind of feel like you know just a retelling of the last issue with just a different setting however i think what wins me over in this is the setting because i'm always a sucker for a water planet my favorite story of, of the, the pre-Empire Marvel run is the Water Planet story. You know, it was the first story I read in Marvel Star Wars, so it's always right. a soft spot for me. You know, my, my favorite movie of the prequel trilogy is um, Attack of the Clones, largely because it has, you know, the Water Planet and a great battle sequence with Jango and Obi-Wan on the Water Planet, you know, and the whole architecture and all that looks very 
it's like half Bespin, half Close Encounters or something. I love that. Yeah. I'm always a sucker for a good water planet. And I like the water planet in this. I love the city. I love the whole fact that these people are so considerate that they actually constructed a whole city just so their air-breathing friends could come visit them. And, you know, it's basically like SeaWorld in reverse. You know, it's it's pretty cool. I like that idea. You know, I think that's pretty neat. Um, I, I would love to get an answer to the question posed on page whatever page this is, it's where Leia and, and Luke are holding Chewie back. And, uh, and Luke says to him, he says, uh, Chewie, he didn't mean any harm. You're going, uh, you're going to be even wetter if you go in after him. And then he stops and he says, can Wookiees even swim? (laughs) That's a good question. Can Wookiees swim? I wonder, you know, I wouldn't think think they'd get pretty waterlogged. Yeah. I wouldn't think that they're probably especially built for the water, but I guess it's possible. Um, page nine, which pages? Oh yeah. Page nine. It's, there's only two panels on the whole page. The bottom panel of the, uh, TIE fighters obliterating. Yeah. That's a great panel. I love that. Cause it's this very like Logan's run looking city. And you see this one alien with a weird looking space mohawk running down the road street. <laughs> and the TIE fighters are just, I mean, just laying waste to everything in sight. Actually, it reminds me a lot of the beginning of uh, the old Battlestar Galactica, the original yes, Star Galactica. The cover. Yep. Yeah. I like that. That's very cool. Um, page 14. What the hell page? Oh, yes. <laughs> I love this. I kind of breezed over this in my synopsis, but I actually liked a lot. There's, there's just the one panel where they cut to Gamondar and you've got these, uh, you've got a storm, you've got a couple of stormtroopers standing guard. You've got these poor Gamondar bastards being marched to the streets with chains around their neck is a chain gang, but the chains are around their necks. And the one stormtrooper says, uh, these Gamondarans seem like a pretty, uh, feeble bunch. And then the, the guard, the, what, what the action figure was always called the uh, Death Squad Commander. He's standing there. He says, uh, "Once they're transported, they'll make uh, good enough work for us." And then the one guy's going, "Good enough for what? Where are you taking us?" And he, Stormtrooper goes, "Shut up and keep moving." <laughs> I just love. There's something. Yeah. <laughs> I just like. I don't know why, but that tickles me. And I, I really- like how you give him a really wimpy voice. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's all like, "Where are you going? What are you doing with me?" He looks a lot like the dude from uh, "For the World Is Hollow," and I have touched this guy, doesn't yes, he? The, the yes, the wincing guy. Yes, the simpering dude. Seriously, what is up with this? The the Imperial commander. For one thing, he's got a goatee, but then he literally does have the six million dollar man's bionic eye. Yes, he does. With the crosshairs and everything. That's. That's pretty cool. Maybe we'll get the story on that next issue. Maybe it shoots lasers or something. <laughs> he, he got it from uh, what's his name, the the cyborg hunter. Oh, Valance, yeah. Valance. Did Valance have? Did his shoot lasers? I can't remember. I, think oh, I don't think so. Uh, I can't. I can't remember. I have to look that up. I can't believe I forgot that. Page nineteen, which is the panel where. Uh, they look in through the dome or the city wall or whatever, and they see Kendall laying there dying that second panel and a little bit on the, on the third panel too, but especially the second panel, Leia has got some awesome, awesome boobs in that panel. I just have to point that out. 
<laughs> Not since the days of Infantino. <laughs> and I love Luke doing the whole Aquaman thing in that last panel where he's going, oh, yes, it can. And he's ascending really fast. That just looks cool. That's just a nice, it's a weird panel. It's almost like a Neil Adams-esque layout to the panel. But I love yeah. it. It's, it's really nice. Actually, Apero used to do that sort of thing a lot too, especially in Aquaman. But it's cool. I just I like. There's something about that the way the figures are drawn in that I really like that. And you, you see like the bottomless abyss behind him and all that. That's neat. I like that a lot. Page twenty, you get a nice butt shot of Princess Leia. I appreciate that very much. Well, now they don't have Donnie in the story anymore. <laughs> She's got to take up she, the slack, butt wise. She was all the butt shot. She was butt shot after butt shot. <laughs> And I really like when uh, when Luke and Leia get into, uh, they go back into the dome and they're there and they're trying to save Kendall and they're trying to figure out, oh, what the hell are we going to do? We don't have time to get her back into the ocean. Because basically what they had to do, they had to ascend, they had to go all the way up to the landing platform and then back down the, the tube thing back into the city again. So by the time they get there, they realize that they're out of time. They have no way to get her into the water in time to save her life. I like that moment, but I really like how Luke is drawn. I mean, friends actually considered the fact that he'd just come out of the water. So his hair is all slicked back. And it's really cool because it reminds me of uh, that scene in um, Corvette Summer where Mark Hamill got the shit kicked out of him and he had to hide in the oil barrel. And he comes out and his hair is all slicked back. He looks exactly like this in that. Did you ever see that movie? Not in a long time. I saw it with you and your dad once on HBO. That's a good movie. I I, I say that having not seen it in like 20 years. But I remember liking that a lot when I was a kid. I need to see it again and see if it holds up. That was when you were lucky enough. That was and saw it in the perfect place at the Black River Drive-In. That's a total drive-in. No, no, we saw that at the Starlight Drive-In, and it was the the first time I oh. had ever seen uh, Meteorite because it damn near hit the screen. It crashed in a field across the street. I'll never forget that. I it's, remember that story. Yeah. yeah, I will never forget that because it. I remember we were, I was watching. That's the movie a Spielberg I, moment yeah, for you. Definitely. Definitely. I mean, I was watching the movie and really intent on it. And all of a sudden my dad was like, you know, typical, you know, typical dad. He said something like, holy shit or something like that. And he's like, look at that. And I look and it was just like, you know, it's like a scene of like a science fiction movie or something. This big ass meteorite just comes streaking across the sky, barely missed the, uh, the drive-in theater screen and crashed in the field across the street. It was awesome. I mean, it was so cool. And now like everybody was like, honking their horn and flashing you know, because everybody saw it and just thought it was cool you know maybe that's one of the reasons that movie's always stood out to me just because that happened during that movie you know? that would that would help for sure <laughs> <laughs> but uh again i love the cliffhanger to this you know i i can't remember where this goes but i just this was an issue i always liked as a kid i, I like this thought that i always liked the ones that really roped me in with a sense of peril you know, I mean, it's easy to read these today and think of them. They're kind of simplistic. Obviously, nothing's going to happen to the heroes that have a movie right. coming out in a week. But still, it has the power to read it. And I feel a sense of genuine peril for the, the heroes of, holy shit, how are they possibly going to escape this? I like that. I like when it can still do that to me. 20 some years later, you know, and it totally does. I, I really like this cliffhanger ending 
and I can't remember what happened. So it's neat. It's neat to yeah. be at the end of this issue and go, wow, you know, they're fucked. <laughs> I love it. That's all I got on this one. Do you remember uh, beyond this? No, I have no idea what happens on this. Although I have a suspicion that it has something to do with the water drying up or the water because they're like doing that ch- on the cover of this one. They're doing the choking. Oh, you know. Oh, that's a good catch. I hadn't thought. Yeah, you're right. I think that comes up in the next one if I if I remember right. But like I said, that's going back almost you know twenty eight years or something like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, twenty eight years. That's a good point. I had to look this up because it was really driving me crazy. I know that eventually they make friends with one of these fish people and he becomes like a, like a semi recurring character. Yes. Might even join them if I remember right. And I was trying to remember who it was and I looked it up and it's not the character that I was thinking it was. And in fact, we haven't even met that character yet, but just mini spoiler, you know, uh, one of these fish people will actually become like, like a regular, you know, like he'll, he'll basically, he'll join the team of star warriors. Kind well, of thing. I think at the, this point they were starting to understand that it was a good idea to start putting in a lot of other characters. Right. And, uh, so you could have some people who would general, genuinely, you could actually have die or, or something happen to them. And yeah, they, I think they were throwing a lot of characters and races up against the wall to see what sticks. Yeah. And I'm sure they were like, Ah, Fen Shiso. Okay, check. <laughs> See, I loved that as a kid, and I look Zeltrons, back at it now, check. and I, I look at that as a brilliant... I don't know if it was... I mean, I'll, I'll give uh, Joe Duffy the benefit of the doubt that she was actually doing that as some sort of insurance you know, for, for the post-Return of the Jedi stories. You know, I, I, I'd be willing to give her the benefit of the doubt with that, but you know, whether it was you know, intentional or whether it was just you know, happenstance... I liked the fact that they started to bring in new characters and, and add to the team and everything. And to a certain degree, you know, as we go on, we'll kind of see Luke and Leia and, and Han and the others somewhat slip to the background. Sometimes, sometimes they actually do become background characters in their own book. And some of these, uh, yep. these made up care, you know, made up for the series characters actually take center stage. That became a very, very common complaint late in this series run it never bothered me it, it, i always no. liked that and now that i look back at it i go god that's brilliant because mm-hmm. yeah because it's the only way you can have real drama real threat or go any place with these right. stories but what's funny if, if i'm not mistaken and again i really need to dig that article back out and, and reread it and i will do that for next uh, next star wars monthly monday but now that I think about that, if I'm not mistaken, I think that Lucasfilm actually even started to dictate what they could do with those characters. Or maybe I'm confusing that with the with the Star Trek. Didn't we? We heard that about Star Trek, didn't we? That was from. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. Now that I, now that I'm thinking about that, I might have my stories mixed up because I, I wasn't it. Uh, Paul uh, Paul Kupperberg, I think, had told us something to that effect about when he was working on. Remember, we were we were talking to him about. I remember it. I'll have to guess. Yeah. (laughs) It falls out of my brain so quickly. I don't know what I'm talking about. So anyway, but yeah, I dug it. I thought it was cool. Even if you didn't. I didn't. It's not that I didn't dug, dig it. It's just that I thought it was, yeah, it was, it was okay. You're a sad, cynical old man is what it comes down to. 
Well, yeah. It's nice <laughs> for me to, be, to be able to throw that on somebody else for a change. <laughs> yeah. I don't mind. I'm looking, well, well, I guess that's about all we got for this month, huh? <laughs> for you guys. I think that's it. Shoot, we were shooting for a five-hour show to beat the four-hour <laughs> Comic Monthly Monday, and now I feel like we've let you guys down. <laughs> You can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libson.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Libson is spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com, where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook, too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two Two True True Freaks. December 7th. Earth 2. 1941. A world very much like our own, yet slightly different. A date which will live in infamy. A world at war. The United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. Following the Japanese sneak attack on Pearl Harbor, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt brought together the largest group of mystery men ever assembled to battle the Axis powers. Tales of the Justice Society of America presents The All-Star Squadron.
The Tales of the Justice Society of America, every Friday at twotruefreaks.libson.com. As the Wheel Turns, the podcast from Peregrine D-Man, The Definitive Geeks, discussing Robert Jordan's Wheel Time series. Please join us as we share insights and revelations regarding this epic fantasy series. We would welcome yours as well. Please email DefendantGeek at gmail.com. Defending Geek is available on iTunes or at DefendantGeek.podomatic.com. Okay, let's get this show on the road, gang. Mondays. Available the third Monday of every month at twotruefreaks.libson.com.